But what is the solution for the 2024 recession? Obviously, more immigration. I can't believe it wasn't obvious. They say it in the article. It's wild. I can't even believe it. We've got to get started. There's so much to get to. Let's get started. First, we're going to start at the music stuff. Yesterday, I was talking about how music in the 1980s was changed fundamentally. And here's the meeting that I was referencing about that. I think I'll play this first and then I'll play, well, maybe not. We'll play this one. Well, this is Mike Benz and he's pretty He's pretty good. He's He puts out a lot of different content on a lot of different things. And he's he's a good content creator from what I've seen. He's interviewed by a lot of people. I don't know why he's popular. I don't, I don't know what he does. I'm sure he's very well known, but I've never heard of him before. Um, like I've seen his stuff before, but I haven't heard, you know, have you heard of Mike Benz? No, I've never heard of that guy. So he's talking though about how the CIA uses music and the music industry to manipulate people. And one of the things they do is uh, heavy rock concerts because rock concerts emulate end stage color revolutions, emulate large protests with hundreds of thousands of people on the street. And he's explaining that this is kind of a, a training, like a soft, a soft training ground for acolytes to get used to it, I guess. I'm not sure. But here's, here he is talking about this. And I think that it's worthwhile. We're going to listen to about a minute. Here we go. We've, we funded music groups in Ukraine. We funded music groups in Russia with, with Pussy Riot. Now, the idea is, is you get people into the habit of going to these large outdoor events. It simulates being on the streets. You, this is the end stage of what every color revolution looks like. It's hundreds of thousands of people in the streets in protest. And that's why they love this protest rock. So Pussy Riot's music was all about taking down the regime. All the punk, all the punk rock concerts that were put on by the by the, the CIA and the State Department proxies in Germany during the Cold War, it was protest rock, punk rock type stuff. It was down with the machine, down with the authoritarianism. They have a big problem when they try to organize color revolutions, which is that most of the time the groups hate each other. They have nothing in common. They've got religious differences. They've got ethnic differences. They've got values differences. But if they're all listening to the same music and they're all revering the same, the, the same uh, you know, cultural figures and they all just have the same common message of get him out. And if you watch this movie, it's called uh, Bringing Down a Dictator. This was, a, this was made for PBS. It's basically a State Department-made uh, documentary about the color revolution in Serbia. And they talk openly about the strategy of it's not about unifying people in, for what they have in common. You get large masses of people together with a common message. Get them out. Whoever's in, in the government, just get them out. That's all we care about. And in the chaos that unfolds, the emerging leaders who are groomed by the State Department become the next president. That's how you had Victoria Newland on hot mic saying, Yatsen Yoke's going to be the next guy, not Klitschko, right. not the other people. So it's just about destabilizing and regime changing. They did the same thing in Cuba. In Cuba, the National Endowment for Democracy funded this group called the San Isidro Movement. Now, this is where it gets really wild because it's going to take it to Art Basel. So I'll leave it there. He, he explains how in one color revolution, the Cuban color revolution, the symbology of these um, fences was one thing and their bicycle racks in Cuba and there it meant another thing. One, one represented oppression, the other represented freedom. And he was, he was saying they're almost playing with it. Like they can, they can make it do anything. And it's wild. It is. It's really incredible what you can, how you can sway people. You get a simple message, simple, simple, simple message. It's really important that it be simple because people are not like, if you're flirting with somebody, right? Uh, usually guys, well, and I mean, it's, it's culturally kind of tainted as well, but uh, when I was young, let's just put it 
in me when I was young, guys were a little bit more shy and girls, if they were flirting with you, needed to make it super obvious, right? And so in messaging a crowd, it's like you have to be a girl flirting with a guy and like you want a result soon. Like you don't want a result in three weeks. You want a result tonight, right? So you've got to be obvious. Otherwise, the guy's not going to get it. And it's the same thing with messaging for crowds. So it's super, super simple and really in your face, right? <laughs> right? Okay. Here is what happened in the 1980s, 1990s. 1980s was the first meeting. This this was recorded in 1991. And I'll show you, we're going to two two different spots. The first spot is this is a meeting about hip hop. Okay. So he's talking about hip hop and the meeting, and then we'll jump ahead to talk about what they were trying to achieve at the meeting. Because there's a whole bunch of other stuff that setting the stage, but here we go. Insiders to discuss rap music's new direction. Mm. Rap music's new direction. Yeah. Little did I know we would be asked to participate in one of the most unethical and destructive business practices ever seen. Christ. Okay, so there he just starts to describe the, the meeting and what happened um, before the meeting and the the contract they signed to attend the meeting. Some people, when they were told to sign the contract, left, and he stayed because he was curious. This is what the meeting was about, says him. Privately owned prisons and that our positions of influence in the music industry would actually impact the profitability of these investments. <laughs> then he says, I remember many of us in the group immediately looking at each other in awe and confusion. At the same time, I didn't know what a private prison was, but I wasn't the only one. Sure enough, someone asked this, someone asked what these prisons were and what any of this had to do with music. <clears throat> we were told that these prisons were built by privately owned companies who received funding from the government based on the number of inmates. Mm -hmm. The more inmates, the more the government would pay these prisons. Mm -hmm. It was also made clear to us that since these prisons are privately owned, as they become publicly traded, we'd be able to buy shares. Most of us were taken back by this. Again, a couple of people asked what this had to do with us. At this point, my industry colleague who had first opened the meeting took the floor again and answered our questions. He told us that since our employees had become solid investors in this prison business, it was now in their interest to make sure that these prisons remain filled. Our job would be to help make this happen by making music which promotes criminal behavior, mm. rap being the music of choice. Mm. He assured us that this would- why, why rap? Why rap? Why do you think they chose rap? And I said yesterday, demographics who listen to rap. That was the target demographic they wanted to fill up the prisons, right? They didn't want to impact a certain demographic. They wanted to impact the black demographic, right? This was a conscious choice made by people who had this meeting in the early 80s. And here is, they had another meeting. I'll tell you, they had another meeting. And this is a song called Wait in the Truck. And this is the part of the song. So the beginning of the song is he's driving, or he's visiting the woman in prison. He's driving down the road in a truck, right? And he sees a girl in the street and she's been beaten by her boyfriend, he assumes. And then he asks, where is he? And she tells him and he goes and kills the boyfriend. So this is a country song. When you sit in your car and you turn on the radio and the DJ plays a song, your guard is down. You think that the song is, you know, your favorite song or a song that, you know, that you like or whatever. Um, the, what was that rabbit the people or something the people had um, better run, better run faster than my bullet. Wasn't that the song? 
I, and I thought to myself, what is this? Like, why is everybody singing this song? Like, why? Why? And I, I thought it was a boring song because, like, I play guitar and sing. It's a, it's a basic chord progression. It's a very simple chord progression. The, the lyrics are nonsense, but it's almost a, a trance-like song. People sing it, and they still sing it. If you start on, start them on it. I'm sorry if I've started you on it, but like, holy smoke, right? It's powerful. It's unbelievable. This is a, a conscious effort by the music industry to fill private prisons plausible plausible here's just a little bit of weight in the truck youtube is going to flag this video for me doing this but i don't even care here we go there was something in the headlights that stopped me on a dime well, she was scared to death so i said climb in and then she climbed Ooh. okay and then he here's Here's the part where he goes and kills the guy. But I won't show the I won't show that part. Well I knocked and knocked and no one came, so I kicked in his double wide door. I let the hammer drop before he got to that twelve he was re Right, okay, so there you go. Uh what do you think the point of this song is? Like if you pick up a girl on the highway, go kill her boyfriend because uh she's sad. Like <laughs> And, and not to say, go drop her off back home and, and none of your business or anything like that. I watched The Incredible Hulk. I watched Highway to Heaven. I watched every Star Trek ever made, right? Like, if there's a problem, you try and solve it as best you can. But, like, probably you don't kill the guy's or the girl's boyfriend, right? Maybe you take her to the police station and then you drop her off at the police station. And say, maybe you should write a report. Do you have family in the area that I could drop you off at? Maybe I will drop you off at your double wide trailer with the boyfriend who just beat you up. Like there's a way you could solve that problem and, you know, finish that episode and move on to the next problem. Littlest hobo, right? Like, come on, this is not, they're offering a solution. And the, the rest of the, the rest of this is he's in jail. Like here, he's visiting the girl. Here, there, he's visiting the girl again in prison, and then there's uh, she, there's footage of her leaving the prison after she visited him, and he's like, yeah, it was totally worth it. Bullsh, bull poop, come on. Are you kidding me? So it's meant to influence people. It's meant to influence you. Even, um, I, I often pay attention to the lyrics of songs and what's the, what's the hook, what's the chorus and the rest. A lot of the songs talk to you about how like your life is not, where you want it to be, or you know, maybe your husband or your wife is not who, who you want them to be. All of that is negotiation with yourself and or your partner. <laughs> and you shouldn't listen to music that's trying to get you to, to do something that'll blow up your life. Holy smoke erroneous. But people do. People really do. And they take it to heart. It's wild. Uh, but predictable because, I mean, that's how humans work. And people don't know to have their guard up and be skeptical of these lyrics that they're repeating ad nauseum, right? Here's, let's talk about drugs because this is all NWO stuff, right? Uh, drugs, prison, um, pushing drugs on people, making drugs free, abundant and available, makes people easy to conquer. And hello, right? If we don't know about what constitutes a woman, uh, easy to conquer. Um, City News is reporting Health Canada announced the recall of two additional caffeinated energy drinks, adding to a growing list of beverages deemed unsafe. Well, thanks for keeping us safe. Um, and Rex Glacier says, but free government provided crack and heroin, right? Yes, very, very interesting there. Brett uh, Wilson says, BC to give safe fentanyl to minors and parents won't have a say. Huh, that sounds weird, right? That sounds strange. This is Adam Zivo. And he says, BC plans to give safer supply fentanyl to minors and parents won't have a say. I'm going to preempt this with no safe 
fentanyl exist. Calling something safe and it actually being safe, two different things entirely. Safe supply fentanyl is branding. And if people fall for it, then fine, but it is just branding. It's only branding. And it doesn't make it safe. Calling it safe doesn't make it safe. Here is the article. In what constitutes a clear trampling of parental rights, British Columbia recently authorized the provision of safer supply fentanyl to youth across the province, regardless if parents are informed of or agree to this measure. The provincial government has provided limited access to safer supply fentanyl since at least 2020, primarily through small-scale pilot projects. However, last August, the British Columbia Centre on Substance Use, BCCSU, an influential research organization, published protocols permitting doctors and nurses to prescribe, quote, safe fentanyl tablets to adults and minors. The organization confirmed to me in an interview or in the email that it had been contacted by the province to produce these documents to, quote, further support clinicians prescribing safer supply across the province. I scroll down a bit. This is a shame as the new protocols are full of red flags, including a jarring near absence of safeguarding measures when given, giving fentanyl to minors to say nothing of the obvious ethical issues around underage consent. The only special requirement for underage patients is the use of a two-prescriber approval system wherein one prescriber conducts the patient intakes intake interview and another reviews the client's charts before signing off. A number of addiction experts have criticized this as deeply inadequate. Dr. Lenora R., a Hamilton-based addiction physician, said she found it hard to imagine that two doctors or nurses working in the same clinic would significantly challenge each other's prescribing decisions. The protocols do not provide a minimum age for when youth can receive recreational fentanyl. Wait, what now? Recreational what? There's recreational fentanyl? It's, It's one thing to be okay with alcohol. It's another thing to be okay with marijuana. And it's, I think, an order of magnitude different to be cool with recreational fentanyl. Like, have you seen Train Spotting? I, I just, I don't think that I'm going to get there. I watched that movie. That didn't do anybody any good. And fentanyl is like the next step, right? Like fentanyl is an opiate on steroids. If that, does that, is that a double negative? Whatever that is. Um, so really, I just, holy cow. And seeing recreational fentanyl really <laughs> jarring, quite jarring, I think. Um, when I asked the BCCSU whether a minimum existed, they did not reply. The documents also make absolutely no mention of the rights and roles of parents of drug-addicted minors. So, man, that's just incredible. Incredible to me. So why are they trying to, why are they trying to give kids a pathway to getting recreational fentanyl? That's not good. That's, that's bad. That's, that's very bad. I asked at the top, what do you think the solution to our current or looming recession is? And obviously, I can't believe I didn't think of this. It's more immigrants. Here it is. I'll I'll read just the last part here because this is kind of where it is. Um, But I think that I think that it's very funny. I think that this conclusion, well, this isn't even really the conclusion. The, The story continues, but they just double down on on these conclusions. Um, at the same time, if NPR admissions were to remain, um, the, the premise of this is halting temporary resident admissions would make Canada's recession worse, would deepen the recession. And that's very true. One of the things that I've been saying is the, immigra- the immigration into the country is sending false signals that look like the economy's rocking because there's so many people coming, they have to buy things like cars and and you know, tents. 
and fish ice ice fishing huts and things like that, right? So um, they have all sorts of costs that they and 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 things that they have to get. There's no two ways around it. And so it looks like the economy is really booming. But when you start jacking up the the interest rates and all sorts of other stuff, um, and then if the people stop coming, so interest rates are high. They're that's true. They're high now. And then we turn off the tap of all those people coming buying all that stuff, well, all of a sudden, we're going to see a whole lot less stuff being bought and we're going to we're going to trigger a recession. I totally agree with that. But I just think it's funny how they're twisting they're twisting this into uh, the solution is more people and this is how they do it. At the same time, if NPR admissions, so that's what they're talking about the the number of admissions coming in were to remain elevated and above the baseline projections. So if we keep it high and, and above what we were expecting, GDP growth would accelerate and would lead to a milder economic slowdown than currently anticipated, possibly avoiding a recession altogether, <gasps> Bartlett wrote. However, it would also present a challenge for the Bank of Canada and its goal of bringing inflation back to its 2% target. It would, it would set um, inflation on fire again, right? And well, I wouldn't say that we've fixed that problem, but do you think that really we're not in a recession now. Like they're saying that we're going to avoid this looming recession. But I've highlighted a lot of this. It's just kind of making the case that there is a recession um, coming and and so on and so forth. But here's Holly Doan to say, I think the recession is here. Government report says the rising cost of food will be reflected in Canada's poverty rates this spring. Um, Food security uh, and the employment and social... DEVIC? Uh, Info about the programs. Anyway... This government of Canada account is talking about food insecurity in Canada, and that's increasing because the rising cost of food is making it difficult for people to meet those basic needs. And that's very problematic. Isn't that an indicator of a recession? No? Yes? Hmm. Here's Ashley St. Clair. And we're talking, there's a lot of talk in the United States about movement of people who have boarding passes that say no name given. So they're allowed to get on the plane fly all across the country, no name given. And Ashley St. Clair is responding to this. I think she's, I think she is, no, she's not lives at TikTok. There's another one who's lives at TikTok, Shira or something like that. I, re- I recognize it to see it. I can't bring it up off the top of my head. But Libs of TikTok says, I received this from a source in the O'Hare airport in Chicago. Parts of the airport were sectioned off, sanction, sectioned off to house illegals. There were too many illegals and now they have overflowed to the terminal area. My source says they were mainly Hispanic men and he was asked not to record what are they why are they trying to hide this this is everywhere by the way like tim cast was talking about this with vivek ramaswamy i've got that at the end as well um but there's this is everywhere it's happening everywhere and it's bad it is meant to destabilize it's happening in canada in a different way and they're as brazen about it because this is brazen here we go There's beds all over the terminal, blow-up beds, um, full bedding, uh, Hispanic men kind of looking angry. <laughs> People full, I mean, they're folding things up. There's, there's something. No picture, he says. No picture. It's an airport. He knows the hat. Yeah. It's an airport. Yeah. Very interesting. So... They are moving these people around the United States and people are noticing. And Ashley Sinclair says, it's not just Chicago. They were using hangers in JFK and uh, Tetraboro as well. This is nationwide. So they're flooding countries, more than one, with people who are waiting on some kind of order, Order 66. 
I don't know. Mike is responding to Andrew Lawton. Let's talk about grab bag of governance. This is just kind of governance things that I've noticed. Andrew Lawton was tweeting on January 9th. Today's the 11th. He says, the Conservative Party of Canada is fundraising off David Menzies' arrest by the RCMP. And Mike says, the same CPC that had the Menzoid removed from their function in 2019 is now using David to fundraise. That's pretty, I mean, that's pretty brazen. Maxime Bernier is remembering this too. He says, Polyev's current House leader, Andrew Scheer, the fake conservative who was installed as leader of the party by the milk cartel, also got the Menzoid arrested at a campaign stop in 2019. I remember talking about that. Polyev defending Rebel News today, pretending to care about freedom of the press and exploiting this story as the height of hypocrisy when you know that TW, or that two of his main collaborators also got Menzies arrested because he wanted to ask them questions. So yeah, they're... they're exploiting this as a story that has gone viral and the conservatives are using that to elevate their own status and i mean you've got to use when, when an opportunity presents itself sure use it but yeah the history of it is very sketchy very very sketchy here's the national post they're talking about our military our laughable military which is sad it's a sad thing to say because canada we used to be, we used to have a very uh, proud tradition in our military. Um, National Post says the last edition, which was published online of the um, of the RCAF, what's it called? The Canadian Military Journal. The last edition, the last edition posted online contains little, uh, to, little to no mention of strategy, geopolitics, or the avalanche of contemporary problems facing Canadian armed forces. There's not a single reference to the recruiting crisis, which has left vacancies up to 40% in some departments. No mention of the plummeting maintenance standards that recently prompted the commander of the Royal Canadian Navy to declare that his fleet was in a storm with no end in sight. No discussion of why Canada is slashing its military budget, even as its peer countries do the exact opposite. Instead, in a signal of just how far the Canadian Armed Forces has embraced far-left anti-racist ideology, the entire issue is devoted to how the Canadian military is a racist, patriarchal den of colonialist oppression that needs to be torn down and remade from scratch really honestly for real uh, one of the titles of the articles is i'm not your typical white soldier interrogating whiteness and power in the canadian armed forces and that's not even the worst of it here's the canadian military journal this is the pdf and it's not even on us it's not even on the https guys come on come on um, but the articles editorial transforming military cultures Research articles, getting in, getting to the root of the problem, understanding and changing Canadian military culture. Uh, I'm not your typical white soldier. That's the one I already read. Supporting military families, championing or reinforcing the patriarchy. <laughs> Can we continue to support military families? Doesn't that support the patriarchy? Hmm. Understanding and addressing opposition to transforming military cultures. <laughs> Two articles about transforming military culture. One article about understanding opposition to it. <laughs> Moving from technical and humanist to critical learning. Mm. Trauma and military cultures transformation through community. Anticipating future culture struggle struggles over contested military identities. Gender identity, professional identity, and military culture. Challenges in the implementation of gender policies in the Argentinian armed forces. Yeah, no, that's super, uh, that's really interesting. <laughs> Book review essay in the military. What is this? Power and culture change in the military. <laughs> Research perspectives. Women's deployment experienced safety barriers and CAF culture change. 
hidden in plain sight ritual items as inhibitors to culture change, uh, feminism and the military, misconceptions and possibilities. I worked with military guys in the early 2000s and they were, they were great guys. They were really, really nice guys. Guys who were deployed and um, usually reserve forces they, and they worked also where I worked, but they worked reserve. It was just like, you know, a, a deployment a year, maybe type deal. It wasn't in like a small one over summertime type deal. Anyway, one of the things I always stuck with me because I can't remember what we were talking about early PT or something like that. And somebody made a joke about, you don't want to get the women up early. And and another guy said, there's, there's only two types of women in the military. <laughs> I don't want to finish the joke. <laughs> there are two types of women. There are ambitious women and then not so ambitious. A ambitious in a different way, trying to find a husband, uh, trying to, husband is not the right word, trying to scratch an itch, scratch an itch. Two types of women, very ambitious and you don't want to be around them. And the women who are trying to scratch an itch, you, you don't usually want to be around them. But occasionally you do want to be around them, depending on how much you've had to drink according to my friend. Anyway, it was very interesting. I don't know if that's correct or not. I think that it's, I think that it's probably correct, but are those the misconceptions and possibilities, feminism in the military? <laughs> because the whole feminism is kind of predicated on that whole slut walk, slut shaming, that's okay to do, blah, 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 blah. New age feminism, they're not finding husbands, they're scratching a niche for lack of a better word. Um, but that's supposed to be okay to do. And I mean, you know, whatever. It is what it is. But I mean, in the early 2000s, there was a distinction between uh, the girl you brought home to mom and uh, somebody who's trying to scratch a niche in the military. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm being clumsy about that. But I, I think that there's something to that. Professional perspectives to finish this. Um, what we mean by culture, <laughs> we have to define this at the end of the whole freaking magazine. Reflections from the chief professional conduct and culture and youth perspectives on the military culture change. Yeah, well, it's crap. And the military is kind of crap. And I mean, the veterans, the veterans, the current service members in CFB Trenton don't like it either. Uh, sent to us from CFB Trenton says veterans for freedom. This is a picture of a men's washroom. Think maybe the troops are tired of being humiliated by the woke nonsense. So it looks like there's a dispenser possibly for period products because men don't need period products. Somebody ripped it off the wall. Um, and so I think that Canadian troops, Canada Proud says Canadian troops really don't like tampons being forced in men's washrooms by the Trudeau government. So, I mean, that's a lot of holes for a tampon dispenser. Who knows? Who knows if that was actually a tampon dispenser, but it seems plausible to me. CTV News is... Hello, everyone. Thanks very much for watching. This is just a short version of a longer show. If you'd like to get the whole show, you can go over to canadapoly.com and sign up for a subscription. Just look in the drop down tab for shop and donate and look for subscriptions and you'll get immediate access to the full show. Love to see you. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.